Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week, like last week and like next week, um, we're going to be looking at, at two places in Scripture. Last week, we, we, lo- we looked at the story of Jesus on the cross with the other, the other men who were crucified with him. And we looked at the story of this woman who, who was broken because of all that Jesus had done. Broken in the best way. That, that she, was, she was there to, to worship Jesus and, and was just left, like, just struck by how much Jesus had done for her. And this week, we're we're taking a look again at the story of Jesus on the cross and his interaction with those who were crucified him. And if you'd like, you can find, if you'd like to follow along, you can find that story in Luke chapter 23. But we're also going to be taking a look at a story found in Matthew chapter 8. And so we're going to look at Luke 23 first, Matthew chapter 8 second, if you want to pick one of those or if you want to try and get to both of them. But in Luke chapter 23, we, we find this, the, the amazing story of the last conversations that Jesus has before he dies with both of the people who are being crucified with him. That, that Jesus, on the day he was crucified, there was two other people that had been, had been deemed worthy of the punishment of crucifixion. So there's Jesus and there, there's two other, other men who are being crucified with him. And as they're all on the cross dying... Jesus and these two men share, a, share conversations with each other. And we're looking at the, contact, or the content of those conversations. But in, in the midst of the pain and the agony and the suffering that is crucifixion, one of the men lashes out at Jesus. He, he lashes out at him. He, he's angry at, at probably everything and anything, but he takes it out on Jesus. He, he mocks Jesus and he makes demands of Jesus. He's, he's angry at, at the world and at Jesus. But in this other man, we find this incredible picture of, of Jesus' heart. As, as, he, as Jesus said of himself, when he talked about why he came, he said to, uh, he, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And we see as Jesus hangs on the cross, dying, his heart to seek and save the lost hasn't changed. That that he's literally in the process of dying for the sins of mankind, but his heart is still for the lost. And so as Jesus is hanging on the cross dying, he still has time and presence to interact with this criminal and have this this moment of salvation for this, this man. And in the midst of this conversation, this, the man makes what we're looking at as three statements about himself and Jesus. And, and we're lo- using these three statements as our roadmap to, to understand salvation. Well, one of the things that you may have heard if you've been around church for a while or you can read at the back resource table if you'd like. There, there are little cards there to, to help you share the gospel with a friend or a neighbor or, or to, that you could give to or that you could read to them if you want to have a, have a resource or a tool like that. But one of the things that you might have heard 
if you've been around for a while, is that accepting Jesus is as easy as A, B, C. And that's something that lots of churches will say, and it will say on those cards. And, and what that means is that, that um, the ABC stands for admit, believe, and confess. That, that, that's, it's a little mnemonic device, although I guess it's not mnemonic because that would mean numbers. I don't know what the equivalent of a letter would be, but it's a little thing to help us remember ABC, admit, believe, confess. And as we look at the statements that the criminal makes hanging on the cross, we see him working through these three concepts. In Luke 23, we read, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And then if we, if we jump down to, to verse 39, we actually see where this interaction begins to take place. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Remember, we talked about this guy who is, who's mad and he's taking it out on Jesus. He says, aren't you the Messiah? Save us and save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for, for we are getting what our sins deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, the, the criminal said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The three statements were, were focused on her when, when the man says, we are punished justly for what our deeds deserve. That's, that's what we talked about last week. It's this admission of our guilt. It's this admission of the sin in our life. It's, it's us being willing and open to admitting and saying, I, I, I need someone to help me achieve perfection. That I'm not perfect. That, that I cannot be all that I need to be in order to be saved apart from God. And so I need God. And we talked about last week how, how this isn't an admission that we need to be afraid of giving. Because it's not like Jesus is unaware it's not like God is unaware. It's not like when we come to God and say, Jesus, I need to confess something to you, that he's stunned by our, our, our confession. That he cannot believe, that he would say, I had no idea. But we talked about how, how for, for Jesus, for God, when we come to him, it's not because he needs to know what we've done. It's that for us, we need to be willing to admit what we've done. But then he goes on to say, but this, the man on the cross goes on to say, but this man has done nothing wrong. And this gives us a picture of what it means to believe in Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And then finally, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this serves as a picture of what confessing Jesus' lordship looks like. And so today we're going to look at the second statement. We're going to look at, at number two, we're going to look at what it means to believe. We need to believe that Jesus Christ died for us, was buried, and rose again from the dead. Now obviously, as I say that, you say, well, that's not what the man on the cross said. That's not what he, that's not what he said he believed. But, but the, he can't say that because it hasn't happened yet. But what he can do is, is this, there's this moment where he states what he believes to be true about Jesus. That Jesus had done nothing wrong. That, that he was dying without committing an offense. That he was sinless. That, that he was free from sin. 
And that this wasn't just something that the, this guy had heard. He said, well, you know, he didn't say, you know, be careful, man. I, I heard maybe this guy might be innocent. But he takes this moment to say, Jesus was innocent. It wasn't just something he had been told or something he had been told he needed to believe, but, but as the Bible, or but as he speaks on the cross, he says what he believes to be true about Jesus. And this, this is what it means for us to believe, to, to believe what the Bible tells us about who Jesus is and, and what Jesus came to do, that Jesus, fully God and fully man, the second person of the triune God, came down from heaven, lived a perfect, sinless life, was crucified and died, not because of the sum total of his life's deeds, but rather because of mine. But he didn't remain dead. On the third day, he rose again, triumphant over sin, over death, and he ascended back into the heavenly realm. This is what we, we need to believe about Jesus. Now, in our world today, and this, this is not new, it, this is something that's been happening for a long time, even back to the Bible days, but, but there are streams and sects, and, uh, sects, S-E-C-T-S, in case you're wondering, what on earth did this turn into? Um, it's a word that you type, but then when you say it, you're like, whoa. Um, but there, there, are, there are streams of what professes to be Christianity that will tell you that because of some of these claims that, that seem really big, they seem really brash, they seem really bold, that you don't really need to believe all that stuff. That, that that seems kind of crazy, that, that the story of the biblical Jesus, if, if it's just too much to believe, well, that's okay. You don't have to believe in all that God stuff, the, the resurrection stuff, or anything that seems too unbelievable. You just need to find the Jesus in the Bible that works for you. The, the real story of Jesus is found in the Bible, but there's lots of this other stuff, and you don't really need to believe in that. But my friends, that's not the road that leads to Jesus. That, that's not the road that leads us to salvation. That, that's not the road that leads us to the place that we need to be. That we say, well, I believe in the idea of Jesus, but not in Jesus. We need to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. John 3.36 will tell us, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for, for God's wrath remains on them. Romans 10.9 says, All right, if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And John 14.6 tells us, not on the slide, but it tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what, what you need to know that we talked about last week is, is that once we admit we're not perfect and we're not holy, then we need to find the answer to that. And so once we're willing to admit that we're not perfect and we're not holy, then we need to find the answer. And the next step is to believe that Jesus Christ is that answer. But this morning, I want to explore a little bit around what it means to believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus kind of sounds like a strange question. It sounds like the same kind of question, do you believe in Santa Claus? 
Or, or do you believe in aliens? Do, do you just have a cursory belief in the existence of this thing? But that's not the question that we're saying. When you, do you believe in Jesus? Is It's not just as simple as like, well, do you believe that there was a guy named Jesus who lived probably 2,000 years ago, although technically his name really wasn't Jesus. That's more of a Greek understanding. His name was more Yahshua, but, but none of it doesn't really matter. It's not just a question of like, do you believe in the existence of this person? The question, do you believe in Jesus, is asking far more than, than do you believe that he existed? The true meaning of the question is, do you believe Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is? And are you trusting in him as your savior? And so what I'd like to do to explore what it means to have a belief in Jesus and what does it mean to have belief in Jesus in our day-to-day lives, how, how, does, how does believing in Jesus make a difference? This is where I want to turn to Matthew chapter 8. Because there's a story there that we see where we see somebody who lives out what it means to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a Roman centurion, came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, there's a lot that we can unpack here. If we wanted to preach on this, on this passage, we could talk about the incredible significance that a Roman centurion comes to a Jewish Jesus asking him for help. And there's all kinds of connotations that go into that, that make this a really remarkable story. But, but that's not the point that we're looking at for this story. But when a Roman comes to Jesus and tells him his, his servant is dying, and I want to begin our understanding of belief in Jesus here, because clearly on some level, and we don't know what kind of level yet, but this centurion has obviously heard of Jesus. That Jesus enters into this town called Capernaum and, and then this Roman centurion hears that Jesus is there, seeks him out and says, I need to go talk to this guy. Maybe he can help. And what he's heard of Jesus allows him to believe that on some level, maybe Jesus can do something about his servant. So there's some kind of belief there. So then we read in verse, verse 7. Jesus said to him, shall, shall I come and heal him? That's the answer that the Roman centurion would be looking for. That as he comes and says, Jesus, my, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, well, do you want me to come and heal him? You see, he doesn't come out and ask Jesus to, to heal his servant. He kind of does the, the passive-aggressive um, ask that we're all very familiar with. When, when you say to somebody, when I say, hey, Andrew, um, I got a, a flight on Wednesday at 7 in the morning. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to get to the airport. And you just leave it out there. That, you know, my, now, like I can say to you today, um, Yvonne and I are moving on April 29th. <laughs> Not saying anything, but if you happen to be free that weekend, you want to hang out. Not asking, I'm just, just saying. And the man, this, this Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, 
hey, my, my servant is really sick. And, and Jesus responds the way that I would want Andrew to respond when I told him about my airplane trip. Oh, do you need a ride? The way that I hope all of you respond and say, we will come and help you move, pastor. It'll be great. Um, but, but Jesus says to, to the centurion, do you want me to, to come and help you? And, and Jesus says, I, I will come and, and to your house and, and heal him. The, the centurion's belief in Jesus has paid off. He's going to lead to, it's going to lead to his servant being healed. Jesus is coming over. It's going to be fine. But actually, what the centurion replies to Jesus' question of, do you want me to come over and heal your servant, shows us this incredible depth of belief in who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. What it means to believe that Jesus is who Jesus is, who the Bible says that Jesus is. In verse 8, we read the, the Roman centurion's response when he says, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes on to explain this belief. He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion says to Jesus, I know the power that you have. I know who you are, and I know that, that you coming to my house isn't necessary. I know that you coming to, to actually coming to my house, we, we don't need to do that. All I need from you, Jesus, is a word. I just need you to say a word, and my servant will be healed. Just speak the word from here. And, and my servant where he is, he'll, he'll be healed. See, this is more than just a belief in, in who Jesus could be. This is, is more than just a belief in the existence of this man named Jesus. This, this is more than just a belief that the man standing in front of this Roman centurion was a real person. But we see here this, this incredible belief that Jesus that was standing there could do a miracle. That the Jesus standing here wasn't just a man, but the Jesus standing here, the Roman centurion says, you have authority over, these, over the, this world the way that I have authority over soldiers. And so all I need from you is a word. Now, obviously, he didn't have the Bible the way that we do and could believe in Jesus specifically the way we can. But he believed in Jesus in a much deeper way than, than just saying, here he is, here, here's Jesus. But his belief in Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus couldn't do didn't just live up here. That he didn't, you know, we, we begin this passage with this, this understanding that he was aware of Jesus. But it wasn't just an awareness of Jesus that he had, but what he knew up here affected the way he was going to live out here. He looked at this whole situation in a way that, that showed us what it means to believe that Jesus is who he is. See, you know this, but there was no cell phones. That there was no instant messaging. There was no way for, Jesus, for, the, for the centurion to say to Jesus, you just say a word here. Okay, is he better yet? 
There was no way for them to know that. There was no way to, for, for the Roman centurion to say, Jesus, you, you give a word and my, my, my servant will be healed. There was no way for the man to know whether or not that was going to happen. For the centurion, he, he would have to have Jesus say the word. Then he'd have to go home and find out if Jesus' word worked. And if it didn't work, who knows where Jesus was going to be? Who knows what's going on? Jesus was never in a place, one place for very long. So, so this might have been his only shot to, to get his servant some help. Remember, his servant was sick to the point where, where the man knew he needed to enter, where the centurion knew he needed to intervene. And even if Jesus did come back around this way again, it could be too late. So, so you know, for us, for me, I think, well, maybe it's best to have Jesus come to the house. If he's offering, why not have Jesus come to the house? I mean, Jesus doesn't know all of this man's servants. So when he says my servant is sick, he doesn't know if he's got one servant or 10 servants or 20 servants. And what if two of them happen to be sick at the same time? And so what if Jesus picks the wrong one? And he says, well, I could, I'll, I'll heal your servant who's sick, but, but he got the one who, who had the flu instead of the one who was really, really sick. Or he doesn't know what's wrong with the servant. Then what if he prays for the wrong thing? What if, what, what if, what if he tries to heal, but, but it turns out that he doesn't say the right thing because Jesus doesn't know what, what's wrong. He, he doesn't know where he is. How, how do you pray for somebody when you don't know who they are, you don't know what's wrong with them, and you don't know where they are? And he doesn't know how serious it is. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you trust that Jesus can get all of those things right without having a backup plan to check and see if he did? I mean, just in case. Why wouldn't? You know, Jesus, you give the word here, and then let's go together and find out what happened. So that when we get back, if it didn't work, we'll be okay. But the centurion doesn't need Jesus to come to his house. Because of his understanding, his belief in who Jesus was. The centurion he uses his own authority and his own power as his context for understanding Jesus. That, that the centurion knew that, that if he tells his servant, jump, the servant says, how high? And he knows that, that Jesus carries the same kind of authority, but, but not just authority of, of, a, of a general in the army, not just authority of that kind, but authority that at a word, the servant somewhere who's sick of something will be healed. And this centurion's belief in Jesus' authority was such that he knew that Jesus only needed to say a word. And it's what would be happened. And if Jesus said it would be done, then that's all he needed to hear. And we read at the end of the story, if you jump down to, to verse 13, we read, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed in that very moment. That the centurion leaves, and he goes home, and he realizes Jesus knew exactly what servant he was talking about. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what he was sick of. And it, he healed him. At a word. All Jesus says is go. Let it be done. 
and, and he's healed. So our take home for this week, for those of us who profess to believe in Jesus, what does that look like for you? What does that mean for you? When you're faced with a situation in your life where you know you need Jesus to believe that Jesus is all you need, when you need healing, do you believe that Jesus can heal you? Not just can Jesus heal objectively, but do I believe that Jesus can heal me now? When we're faced with worry or, or anxiety or fear, do you believe that Jesus can give you peace over that? When Jesus says, my peace I give to you, do we believe that we can actually have peace over these things? Not just objectively, can Jesus give peace to someone somewhere? But here, now, in this moment, do I believe that Jesus can make a difference? What about in our finances? Do, do we believe that Jesus is our source and that he will meet all of our needs? Not, not just can Jesus meet a need, but, but here, now, can Jesus meet my needs? Can I allow Jesus to be above my finances to a point where, where I trust him with that? What about the sin in our lives? Do I believe that Jesus can set me free from sin? Not just do I believe that Jesus can set someone somewhere at some time free, but for me, in my life, really and truly, right now, can I be free? Do you believe that Jesus is God in human form? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, for which you deserved eternal separation from God? Do you believe that the sacrifice of Jesus, God incarnate, is the only adequate payment for our sins? Do you believe in these things? If so, that's great. But believing all the facts about Jesus is only part of the equation. That's only the first part that we need to do. Biblical belief is, is far more than believing certain things to be true. Biblical belief is it's also trusting, relying, and living our lives in light of these truths. It's not just professing the truth of a statement, but it's, it's me living out my truth. In, in James, it will talk about, great, you, you tell me what you believe by the words you speak, that's great. But look at the actions of my life. You'll be able to see what I believe. And, and that's what belief looks like. That I'm able to look at my life and say, I know that I live differently because of the things I believe. Not just to say, here's, here's a collection of things that we believe. If you understand and believe what the Bible says about Jesus, and if you are trusting in those truths as the basis for your salvation then you're saved. You believe in Jesus in a biblical sense. If you're uncertain, if you truly believe in Jesus, 
but your desire is to, or if you feel God drawing you to faith in Jesus, the next step is simple. Believe. Trust in Jesus. Rely on him for your salvation. Allow God to turn you from sin to forgiveness and to salvation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for for all of us right now gathered together. God, I thank you that we can read about your life. I thank you that we can read about all the things that you did. God, I, I pray, I thank you that we can read about this incredible story of you healing this man's servant. God, I thank you that we can read about this incredible interaction that you have with with these men on the cross where we see people come to salvation even in your last dying moments. You were here to seek and save the lost. God, I thank you that as we look at your word, we can see all kinds of things that are true. But God, I pray that you would help us to not merely just believe that something is true. But God, I pray that for each of us, our belief would be manifested in the way that we live. That as we come to you and we pray to you, as as we come to you just like the Roman centurion did, God, may may we live with a belief that you are who you say you are. With a belief that says that you are who your word tells us you are. God, I pray that our belief in you would be more than just an understanding of who Jesus is and what he did, but our belief in you would would somehow spill out of us into the way that we live. And that we would be able to live as a people with a real, true, sincere belief in who you are. God, I thank you that that even as we can sometimes struggle with this, even as sometimes we can, we can fall, I thank you that, that even though sometimes we don't always believe the way we should, God, I thank you that at the end of that road there isn't, there isn't condemnation, there isn't guilt, there isn't shame, that you don't come to us and say, you didn't believe right. God, I thank you that, that you come to us and in your infinite grace and in your mercy, you, you pick us back up and you dust us off and, you, and we start again. And so, God, I pray for, all, for those here today who, who may be struggling with their belief in you. God, I thank you that, that you can meet them right now. In this moment, right now, you can meet us in our moment of struggle and that we're not greeted with anger and we're not greeted with, with condemnation and we're not greeted with guilt. But, but just like the, the father of the prodigal son, you, you'll meet us, you'll hug us, you'll embrace us, you'll welcome us, and you'll say, let's, let's start over, let's start again. And so God, I pray for all of us that we would be able to, to, to from wherever we are now, to be able to step forward in a new level of belief, whether that's the first step of belief, or whether it's rediscovering a belief that perhaps is, has gone dormant, or or whether it's if we are living in a place of belief, God, help us to believe even more. Jesus, I thank you that as we believe in you, you accept us, you love us, and you work in us. God, thank you for all that you are for us and all that you do for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I've read the words in red How you leave the
Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Stand before you, I'll find all alone.